Once again, good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Can I have you turn with me in your Bible to so the Gospel of John, chapter 21? As I told first service, unless a meteor hits the building, we should finish John's Gospel today. But I make no promises. But um, we are in chapter 21 a chapter uh, that deals with Jesus' restoration of Peter. But as we have said numerous times, Jesus is restoring Peter by teaching him lessons in true love, God's love. And of course, by extension, teaching all of us about God's love. These lessons should uh, first and foremost be applied to our relationship with Jesus himself, of course, but also to every other relationship in our Christian lives including and especially to our relationship with our spouse in marriage. So our outline has been very simple. First of all, true love is not words. It's commitment, verses 1 to 14. Secondly, true love is not feelings. It's service, verses 15 to 17. True love is not selfish. It's sacrificial, verses 18 and 19. And this morning, true love doesn't fade it's faithful to the end. Also, verses 18 and 19. So, verse 18, Jesus speaking to Peter, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, before we actually get into these verses, let me just quickly summarize and encapsulate what we've learned already uh, in this series on the topic of the love of God. God's love is a commitment, a commitment he first of all made to us by Jesus going to the cross and shedding his blood that we might be saved. That was a profound uh, commitment. The Lord Jesus Christ gave his life. You can't have more commitment than that. He gave his life for us that we might be saved. Now, that doesn't mean the whole world is automatically saved. That's where the gospel comes in. Now, because Jesus died and rose from the dead, salvation is available. The price has been paid and so on. So now the gospel goes out. The, the thing we need to understand is the gospel, yes, is all about people getting saved. But really, it's also about Jesus proposing marriage to the people of this world. If you look in the New Testament, uh, it often talks about our relationship with Jesus in marriage terms. He's our bridegroom, we're his bride, and so on. And so the idea is that he made a commitment to us, he died in our place, and now the gospel has gone out as a marriage proposal for anyone who wants to come to Christ and our salvation is then rooted in a commitment we then make to him, where we by faith receive him as our Savior, but also as our bridegroom. It's a loving commitment that is demonstrated through our devotion and service to him. But you notice that Jesus made uh, love the foundation upon which Peter's service was to be built. Again, verses 15 to 17. I'll just sum it up quickly. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, verse 15. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep, verse 16. Peter, do you love me? 
feed my sheep. Verse 17. In other words, Peter, I want your service for me to be based on love. Because loveless service is meaningless. And we looked at Revelation 2 verse 4 to uh, look at that in more detail. But guys, Jesus is teaching Peter, and of course all Christians, that the obedience we offer him must be done out of a constraining love for him if he's going to accept it. Because obedience without love is law. And that's religion. We don't like to say Christianity is a religion. It's a relationship. And we have to understand that. Jesus Christ does not want to be uh, a police officer handing out citations when we don't measure up and violate one of the laws of God. He wants to be our loving Savior and Bridegroom, where he comes alongside of us and encourages us to walk with him, to grow in our walk, um, to serve him, but ultimately to love him with all our hearts, right? And so as we have pointed out in this exchange in verses 15 through 17, um, Peter didn't use the word agape uh, back to the Lord. When Jesus said in verses 15 and 16, Peter, do you love me? He used the Greek word agape, a word often used for God's love, a word that uh, means a deep, fervent, unconditional, sacrificial kind of love. Again, God's love. But when Peter answered the Lord's question, Peter, do you agape me? Peter said in verses 15 and 16, well, Lord, I phileo you. That's a Greek word that means I'm fond of you. A word that speaks of human love, right? Um, I'm fond of you. I have affection for you. It's that kind of love. The question is, and we've, we're just reviewing. The question is, why didn't Peter respond with the higher word for love, agape? I believe he wanted to. He wanted to use the word agape, but couldn't because he knew he had blown it in denying the Lord not once but three times. And he knew his actions didn't measure up to the, to the level of agape love, so he was forced to use the lesser word, phileo, uh, Lord, I am fond of you. But as I've been meditating on, on this, and we should really meditate on Scripture, really, the Holy Spirit really opens up things oftentimes. As I was meditating on this passage for this teaching, I felt like the Holy Spirit was impressing upon my heart that that was really ultimately, ultimately what Jesus was trying to do with Peter. What do you mean? Well, I, I believe Jesus was trying to get him to admit that his love and devotion for the Lord was not as great as he, Peter, had pledged that it was. You remember now that... Um, Jesus said in the upper room the night before the crucifixion that before the night is out, you know, um, you're all going to be stumbled because of me. And Peter said, well, though these guys are stumbled, these other disciples, I will never be stumbled. And Jesus said, Peter, before the night is out, before the, the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. Lord, I would die before I would ever deny you. Here's the thing. Peter thought his love for Jesus was, was stronger, purer, than it really was. I think he was sincere. I don't think he was lying at all. But he didn't know his own heart. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, right? 
Who can really know the heart but what? God himself, right? Jeremiah 17, 9. And I believe that goes for all of us. I think that oftentimes we think our love and devotion for Jesus is right where it needs to be. You ask a Christian, you love Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. But do you love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Jesus was asking Peter, and by extension all of us, do you really love me? You see, we get comfortable. We begin to feel like everything is fine. Our walk with God, right where it should be. He knows better. He sees the flaws in our walk. But he can't work on those flaws. He can't lift us up any higher until he allows us to see our shortcomings and our failures and our flaws. We'll never confess our sins. We'll never acknowledge our weaknesses and faults and deficiencies until we see them for what they are. That's the work that Jesus through the Holy Spirit is doing in all of his children's lives, all of his people. He's trying to get us to see, as he was doing with Peter, that, look, our devotion for Jesus, our love for him, is not really all that it should be. We think it's no problem. We think that we're fine. But Jesus knows better. And he's always trying to, to uh, expose to us what is really going on in our hearts. That we would say, well, you know, my love for him is not as deep and as uh, strong and powerful as I think it is, as it should be. Look, pride goes before a fall. We know that, as Peter found out. But if you will, if we will humble ourselves and uh, in the sight of God, He will lift us up. If we will be made to see what's really going on, right, uh, in our hearts, um, I, I just think that's where the Lord wants us to be. And what He was doing with Peter was bringing Peter to a moment of self-realization. We're not really good at examining ourselves. The Bible says examine yourself, first of all, to make sure you're really a Christian. But we should always be examining ourselves to see where we are with the Lord at any given time. And if we're honest, we would have to admit, Lord, my love for you isn't as deep as it should be, as deep as I want it to be. I'm not going to gloss over it. I'm not going to pretend it's what it's not. And what that does is it causes us to bring our hearts to him and say, Lord, I, I want to love you more. Now, there's a lot of times we don't see it for what it is. We're so locked into our pride. We're so convinced of our own spiritual superiority to other Christians like Peter was. That what has to happen is the Bible says pride goes before a fall. Sometimes God has to let us fall. The only way we're going to see, okay, uh, I'll never deny you, Lord. These other disciples, they might, but my love is stronger. My love is pure. And the Lord steps back, folds his arms, and goes, okay, go ahead. And we fall. Pride goes before a fall. But a fall is not the worst thing that can happen to us. If it breaks us of pride and self-confidence, if it humbles us before God, and we acknowledge our shortcomings and our weaknesses and our failures, well, the Bible says if we humble ourselves in the sight of God, he will do what? He will lift us up. He will lift us up, and I believe lift, lift us up and use us beyond anything we can hope or even imagine. But listen, again, I, I just want to say this. Even though our love for Jesus isn't perfect, and even though our lives 
uh, don't always measure up as Peter's didn't. The fact that there is love in our heart for Jesus, as imperfect and prone to failure as it is, is still a love that he will honor and use as a starting point. As a starting point. I mean, we have to start somewhere, right? And in time, I believe that that love and faithfulness for him will grow and develop. Uh, we saw it in Peter's life, where at the end of his life, he was able to say to Jesus, Lord, I do agape you. The Greek verb is agapao, but I'll just use agape, because we know that word. At the end of Peter's life, even though he couldn't say it right here in John 21, I'm fond of you, I'm fond of you, because I can't say I agape you. I've blown it. But in time, Peter was able to say, Lord, I do agape you. You say, how do you know that? Because right here in verse 19, Jesus tells Peter that by following Jesus, it would mean his life. And yet Peter didn't bolt. He didn't bail. He hung in there. He stayed a disciple of Christ all the way to the cross. And as Jesus said earlier in the evening of the night before his crucifixion in John 15, 13, he said, greater love is no one than this than to lay down their life for a friend. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatever I say. So I think Peter at the end of his life was able to say with all sincerity, Lord, I do agape you. Listen, guys. It's not imperfect love that keeps the Lord from using us. And I told first service, we pastors often um, harbor under assumptions. And lately, more times than not, those assumptions are coming back to bite us. What do I mean? I've always grown up believing that every Christian wants to go higher in their relationship with the Lord. They want to love him more, right? They want to serve him more. That's what I've assumed. As I've talked to more and more pastors, it's becoming more and more clear that a lot of people who go to church are more interested in what God's going to do for them than what they're going to do for God. And that's sad. So when we talk about taking up the cross and following Jesus, it's like I'm looking at deer in the headlights with some people, not everyone. But I get this from a lot of pastors. I just don't feel I'm connecting with people. Because they're, take up my cross, deny myself, and follow Jesus. What is that? I want to know how God can make me healthy and wealthy and prosperous and so on. But for those of you who want to be used, even though our love is imperfect, that doesn't keep the Lord from using us. What keeps the Lord from using us is the perception we often have that our love for Jesus is perfect. We would never say it that way, but it's in our hearts that no one loves him more than I do. I'm good with him. Jesus and I, were tight. Peter thought that. That's what hinders God from using us. It's pride. It's pride. In fact, let me say that I don't believe a Christian ever reaches the level of agape love for the Lord until he does use them. The reason I believe that is because as I have witnessed in my own life and in the lives of others I have read about because I love reading Christian biographies, it seems that love and service, listen, 
develop together over time. Let me say it again. Your love for Jesus, coupled with your service for Jesus, grows and develops together over time. But before he calls us into service, he wants us to acknowledge that our love for him is imperfect. And what measure is he using? How do we know that it's imperfect? Well, it's demonstrated by our disobedience. That even though our spirit is willing, our flesh is often weak. Well, let me rephrase that. Even though our spirit is willing, the flesh is always weak. Again, what is the measure by which we know if our love is not where it should be? The level of our disobedience. You see, he doesn't want us to put confidence in our own strength, but instead to rely completely on his strength to do the work he's calling us to do. See, then and only then can he really use us, which means we need to be, we, we need to humble ourselves, um, get on our knees, confess that our love for him isn't all that it should be, because, guys, that's where it all begins. Everything in our walk with him boils down to how much we love him, everything. Now, I can't overstate that. That's why, as we have said earlier in our study in this topic, when Jesus restored Peter in verses 15 through 17, he didn't ask him, Simon, are you sorry for what you did? Simon, will you promise never to do it again? Simon, have you learned your lesson? No, instead, Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. Why? Because the kind of loyalty and obedience the Lord wants from us, he wants based on love, not on legalistic duty again one is religion one is relationship and that's where the lord needs to break us before he can use us and he does so by letting our pride cause us to fall that's what he did in peter's life now peter made a promise i'm convinced he was absolutely sincere i'll never deny you jesus knew better and the lord jesus christ allowed peter to take a pretty hard fall and he did it not because he didn't love peter but because he did love peter he knew that Peter was never going to be the man of God God wanted him to be or be used by the Lord as God, God wanted to use him as long as he was putting confidence in his flesh, in his own strength, right? And so he had to let Peter fall. Now, Peter was devastated. Peter thought, that's it. My ministry for Jesus is over. I'll never be able to serve him now. I can't even look at him. How can I even face him? What Peter didn't know at the time was that his greatest years of ministry were yet future. And that's the way it goes for all of us. A life of effective service for God always starts with the breaking of pride and self-confidence in our hearts. And once he's broken us down, through whatever means he uses, usually he lets our pride just, okay, you know, he lets our pride get the best of us and it brings us down. We fall. Often that's the best thing that could ever happen to us as a Christian. So I stop putting confidence in my own strength. Peter was a much better man after he fell than he was before. A much better servant, right? Because once he's broken this down, then he will build us up in the spirit and use us for his glory. I'll read to you James chapter 4. You have to turn to it really. Verses 8 and 10. 
Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Guys, what um, do we use as a gauge? Uh, think of a gas gauge in a car, which determines how full the fuel tank is, right? How much gas is in the tank. What kind of a um, gauge do we use to determine how full our heart is when it comes to our love for Jesus? Well, again, very simply, it's obedience. It's obedience. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I don't think we, we I, I think we can, we can say it this way and not damage at all what Jesus was saying. I, and I believe he would go on to say, and the greater your love for me, the more you will keep my commandments. It all depends on, on love. He wants our obedience connected not to religious fear, where if I step out of line, God's going to send a lightning bolt and kill me. So a lot of folks obey their deity because they're afraid of the consequences. We as Christians want to obey God because we love him. And we fear grieving his heart. That's the purest motivation. Obedience becomes the gauge by which I know how much my heart is full of love for Jesus, how much I obey him. The greater our obedience to him, the deeper our love for him. Jesus went on in verse 17 to challenge, to challenge even Peter's affection for him. Are you fond of me, Peter? <laughs> Do you agape me, Peter? I'm fond of you. Do you agape me, Peter? I'm fond of you. Are you fond of me? Oh, Lord, now that devastated Peter. At least give me that, Lord. I may not be able to say I agape you, but at least give me that I'm fond of you. Why did Jesus press him on that point? Because Peter wasn't being obedient. He wasn't being obedient to what the Lord had commanded him to do. He wasn't waiting in Jerusalem. He was fishing in the Sea of Galilee. We can't even say we're fond of Jesus if we're not willing to obey the least of his commands. I mean, waiting, that's a pretty easy command, right? Peter couldn't even do that. But listen, so is coming to church to be with the people of God. That's something we're commanded in Scripture, Hebrews 10, 24 and 5. How about reading our Bibles every day? Matthew 4, verse 4 implies just as we need food every day, our daily bread we need our daily spiritual food, the word of God. So Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? If so, then serve me. And he's saying that, guys, to every one of us. Love has to be the motivator. Love has to be the underlying principle, right? One author cut it straight. He said, and I quote, Agape love is Christ-centered and others-centered, not self-centered. You are not a true disciple of Christ if all you do is think about yourself and your problems and your needs. That's a self-centered love exactly opposite to the kind of love Jesus demonstrated on Calvary's cross when he proved his love for, the world, for a world of fallen sinners by serving them to the point of death, even the death of the cross, end quote. All right, with all that in mind, it brings us again to the final point of our outline and that is that true love doesn't fade it is faithful to the end let's read again verses 18 and 19 most assuredly i say to you peter 
When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, to Peter, follow me. Now, when Jesus said to Peter, follow me, he wasn't saying for the day. Or how about this week? I know you got some time off. He was proposing a lifelong commitment. Peter, I want you to be my disciple for the rest of your life. I thought we had that nailed down when I first called you into the ministry. But you went back to fishing. Maybe I didn't make myself clear, Peter. The commitment I'm proposing to you is a lifelong, unconditional commitment. I gave you an unconditional commitment when I died for you. And I'm asking you to commit to me in the same way. Maybe not to die literally, but figuratively every day by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following me. John, Now, when Jesus said to Peter, follow me, again, calling him to a lifelong commitment as one of his disciples, a life that would end in martyrdom. He told Peter that right up front here. John tells us that Jesus was signifying the death that Peter was going to die for him, that Peter's arms would be stretched out, and that he would die as his Lord died through crucifixion. Uh, let me paraphrase what I think Jesus is also saying to Peter, or is saying to him through these verses. Peter, when you were young, and the idea is in control of your life, you did whatever you wanted to do. But now, Peter, you are not the master of your life anymore. You've turned control of your life over to me. And now I will lead you where your flesh does not want to go. To a place that will bring me the most glory. In other words, Peter, there is a cross in your future. History records that when Peter was in Rome and was sentenced to death, that when the soldiers went to crucify him, he requested that he be crucified upside down. Because he said, and I quote, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. Do you hear in those words, Jesus, I agape you? Yeah. Again, Jesus told Peter up front that he was going to be martyred for his faith. And Peter still, I wonder how many of us, myself included, if Jesus said to any one of us, okay, I want you to follow me. I'm going to tell you up front, though, they're going to kill you. I wonder how many of us, if we had known that going in, would still have followed Jesus. You know, we kind of pick on Peter. Because, you know, he did blow it. And he shot his mouth off a lot. But God bless him. God bless him. His heart was right. He was weak in his flesh, but his heart was right. He followed his Lord all the way to the end, even though he knew what it was going to cost him. Guys, to be a disciple of Christ, you've got to first count the cost. That's obvious. And then commit yourself to Jesus, relinquishing, listen, all control of your life to him. No matter what. I was teaching somewhere, and um, I was talking about 
a similar topic. And I said, look, Christianity is not hard to understand. I'm not saying it's easy to live. I'm just saying it's not hard to understand. The goal of Christianity is you get off the throne of your heart, of your life, and let Jesus sit down. That's, that's it in a nutshell. It's all about relinquishing control of your life so that Jesus can take the wheel. And often we start well, but when he starts traveling down some pretty rough roads, give me that wheel. Lord, take a back seat. I'll, I'll handle it from here. And, and that's not how it is. That's not how it works, right? Um, and the question is, look, are, are, I'm not going to just say, are you willing? Me too. Are we willing? We, we say we are, but are we really willing to let Jesus have total control over our lives, to do whatever he wants, to send us wherever he wants us to go, and so on. Even if our flesh doesn't want to go somewhere or do something he wants us to do and go to, yet, because he's our Lord, our master, we submit to his will no matter what the cost. Guys, that is the mindset of a true spirit-filled disciple manifesting a heart of true love. That's the topic, true love. A true disciple of Christ is a person who is following Jesus so that wherever Jesus is, so is that disciple. Jesus said it himself in John 12, 26. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. Don't tell me you're serving Jesus when you're somewhere that he would never lead you to be. What do you mean? He'd never leave you, lead you into uh, a sinful situation, you know? Well, I've heard women say, um, I know I'm not supposed to marry an unbeliever, but I believe God wants me to do it because he's going to use me to bring him to Jesus. Okay, well, the Bible says that you are not to be unequally yoked. You're not to marry an unbeliever. Oh, but I prayed about it, and God told me for, you, for me it was okay. So you've got special dispensation. Well, I didn't realize that. As long as God gave you special dispensation, then you go right ahead. But I think we all know better. You know, I mean, I, I, I would tell people, look, Jesus would never lead you into a bar to hang out. might lead you into a witness to somebody. I'm not saying that. He'd never lead you into a bar to hang out or to smoke Dope never lead you into looking at pornography or into adultery or fornication or to marry an unbeliever or to steal or lie or cheat or do anything else that violates his expressed will for your life as expressed in his word. In fact, the first place he's going to lead you is the cross. Because until he leads you there, he's not going to lead you anywhere else. The first place he will lead you is to the cross, which is where you learn to die. And me too. And I got news for you. It doesn't happen once and you're good for the rest of your life. You've got to pick up your cross and die daily. This is a lesson. And, and, and you die to self and, and learn to live 
in absolute obedience and surrender to the will of God. And guys, this was a lesson that even Jesus himself and his humanity had to learn. Uh, you don't have to turn to it, but Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. Though he was a son, this is the Lord Jesus Christ it's talking about. Though he was a son, the son of God, yet he learned obedience to the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus in his humanity had to learn obedience. Please don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean he was a rebel and God the Father had to discipline him and bring him into you know, conformity to the Father's will. Jesus said, I always do the things that please my Father. What the writer is talking about is that Jesus was always obedient, but he learned greater and greater levels of obedience the closer he got to the cross. Jesus is saying to all of us who are his disciples, follow me to the cross. As the Father sent me, so I'm now sending you. John 20, verse 21. Guys, as I just alluded to, the cross is more than an instrument of death. It is a principle of life. Jesus, again, he said in Luke 9, unless you take up your cross and deny yourself daily, you cannot be one of my disciples. It's not a one-time thing and you're done. It's an every it's a principle for your life. Now a lot of Christians don't even think about what that means. I mean, there's a lot of folks that our culture has become so I don't, people are still going to church, although not many young people. I hope this I hope this revival in Kentucky is real. They're not always real, but I'm from what I have seen, it's hopeful. And I've been praying, Lord, if it's real, will you please bring it up to Chicago quickly? But um, this is a principle for life. And a lot of folks just don't even think about how they can deny themselves for Jesus' sake. It's how they can get the Lord to give them what they want. Verse 19 again, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Our Lord's words, follow me, I think must have brought such intense joy to Peter. When he, hear, he heard the Lord Jesus say, Peter, follow, follow me. Now the Greek is a little more specific. Peter, keep on following me. In other words, Peter, your ministry for me is not over. In fact, it's just beginning. I know you blew it, and I know you are devastated. But I want you to know something. Your ministry for me is not done. It's only, your best days for me are yet future. So, Peter, keep on following me. Don't give up. Don't lay there defeated and broken and feeling like that's it. So the devil wants us to do that, right? He pushes our buttons, we, we, we blow it, and we, we fall on the ground, and we just want to give up, and that's it. God can never love me anymore. He can never use me. The devil is saying, that's right, stay down. Uh, that's exactly right. You're done. You're, you're a loser. You know, I, in other words, you say, Phil, you didn't think I, you didn't think I knew what you were going to do? Was this a surprise to me that you blew it? 
Jesus told Peter in advance she was going to blow it, to soften the blow. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. Never, our <laughs> failures never take him by surprise. They are learning opportunities for us. We need to learn because we put more confidence in ourselves than we should. So Peter must have been filled with great joy. I, I just imagine that, you know, and Jesus said, well, follow me. And Jesus was, I think, was walking away now. And Peter is right there following the Lord. Be careful. Because the devil will always attack you right out of the gate. What do I mean? You're a brand new Christian, just saved, just out of the gate. Watch out. An old flame suddenly calls you or Facebooks you or whatever they're doing nowadays. Tweets you or, uh, I don't know what they're doing. I'm not on social media, so you'll have to help me. I've heard this from more than a few young ladies who got saved and right away an old flame is knocking at the door or something, right? An unbeliever who she fell with many times before she got saved. Or you have fallen as a Christian, backslidden, and the Lord gets a hold of your heart. You get up and you're, you're out of the gate now again. You want to start walking with the Lord and boom, the devil's right there to try to do something to bring you down again. Here's Peter right on the gate. Don't just lay there, Peter. Keep following me. Oh, praise God, Lord. Okay, here I go. And then he does something stupid. Again, I love Peter. But he doesn't, didn't always exercise the best judgment. Immediately as he begins to follow Jesus, uh, before he had fallen, just like he did, you know, uh, before his denial of the Lord three times, um, at that moment... Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. Why? Why did he do that? Why did Peter turn away from the Lord and start to look back? Because he heard somebody, listen, walking behind him. The Apostle John, who was also following Jesus. Verse 20, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is it that betrays you? Uh, that was John. Remember, John was reclining in front of Jesus, Judas behind Jesus. And Jesus dropped the bombshell that night around the table. One of the disciples was going to betray him. So John just leans back because he's right, Jesus is right behind him. Puts his head on Jesus' breast and said, Lord, who is it? I think he says, it me, you know. And that's what John's referring That was me, guys. That's what he's saying here. Remember when I told you about the upper room? Th that was me. You know, okay, John, calm down. We know it was you. <laughs> Peter seeing him. Now John's following behind Peter. Peter seeing him said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. You follow me. You know, why do we let another Christian's walk cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus and stumble? Why do we do that? Jesus, uh, Peter did a foolish thing. He asked Jesus, what about this man? Now, here's how I hear this. Lord, you just told me that I'm going to have to suffer for your sake. But what about John? Okay. If I have to suffer, he should have to suffer too, right? That's not fair. 
Sometimes we act like little kids, don't we? We're grown men and women. We act like little kids. How come he gets a bigger piece of the pie than me, Lord? That isn't fair. Relax. There's enough pie to go around. If I give him more or her more, you don't get less. I got plenty of pie, plenty of blessings, so on. Okay? The Lord rebuked Peter and reminded him that, look, Peter, it's your job to follow me, not to worry about anyone else's walk. Right? I mean, God has a unique plan for each of his disciples' lives, a plan that the rest of us uh, have no right to question or meddle in when it comes to other people's walk with God. Uh, guys, God has got a unique plan for each of his disciples. Peter, um, he should have known that. He had walked with Jesus three and a half years. And one of the things Peter discovered when he walked with Jesus for those years Remember when he stepped out of the boat in the sea of, to walk on the, the Sea of Galilee? Um, remember the story. He discovered that when he stepped out of the boat to walk on the Sea of Galilee, that whenever you get your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to begin to sink in your walk, which is what happened. Guys, the Christian life, listen, like walking on water is humanly impossible. I hope we get that nailed down. That's what ultimately Jesus is trying to teach Peter. Christian life, like walking on water, is humanly impossible. It can only be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. Galatians 2.20 The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me, Paul said. Look, Peter could walk on water because he had faith in Jesus' word. Now, they had been rowing for hours. It's the fourth watch of the night between 3 and 6 a.m. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. They were terrified, thought he was a ghost. And he said, look, it's me. And Peter said, well, Lord, if it's really you, let me come down out of the boat and walk to you on the water. Jesus said, what? Come. When God gives you an invitation, it's his will. And Peter had faith now because he had a word from God. Come walk on the water to me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? But when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. Look, as long as our eyes are on Jesus, as long as we keep trusting in his word, relying in his power, the power of the spirit living inside of us, we can do the impossible. But listen, the minute we get our eyes on ourselves, on our circumstances, or on somebody else's walk, we take our eyes off of Jesus, we begin to sink. And, and I think that Jesus was in a roundabout way kind of scolding Peter uh, when he got, got his eyes off of him and onto John. I, I just hear the Lord Jesus saying, Peter, didn't you learn your lesson on the Sea of Galilee? I thought we went through this already. Taking your eyes off of me is the quickest way to fail in your walk. We need to remember the words of the writer of the Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we, don't, that we ignore others. Philippians 2, verse 4 tells us that we should care for one another but not meddle in their lives. That's the key. It's a difference between caring for somebody and meeting a need and then try to meddle in their life and so on. Look, God has a plan for your life. It's a unique plan. Ephesians 
We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every one of us has a plan. God has a plan for our lives. Our job is to just follow Jesus for the plan he has for us. How he works in other people's lives, that's his business. However, guys, the final point of our outline. Jesus is telling Peter that true love isn't temporary. It doesn't fade. It's faithful to the end, all right? As we pointed out last time, human love is limited and can often diminish over time. But God's love, agape love, never diminishes. It never quits on those he loves. That's an important point. He never, God's love never quits on those he loves, as demonstrated in that Jesus', Jesus love didn't quit on us when he was facing the cross. Turn to John 13 quickly. Again, this is in the upper room, the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Listen to how chapter 13 opens up. John speaking. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, before they actually started eating the meal, when Jesus knew that, that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, listen, he loved them to the end. That phrase in Greek could either mean to the last or utterly and completely, or maybe all of it. John is telling us that Jesus loved all of us, he loved us all the way to the cross, all the way to the completion of our redemption. Redemption is a word that means uh, to release a person from slavery by paying a price. He didn't just love us in words, is the idea. He didn't just start the work of redemption and then stop short, not finishing what he started. He died to finish the work necessary to redeem us as his bride and to secure a place for us in heaven with him for all eternity. In other words, he loved us to the end, to the end of his mission which meant to the end of his life. Guys, husbands, let me just say this to you. God's word says that you represent Jesus Christ in your marriage. And what you need to do is die to self. Die to self. To finish the work you began when you stood before God, family, and friends on the day you married your wife. And you made a, vow, a promise or a solemn vow to God, actually, that you would stay uh, faithful to her, and that you would remain by her side in sickness and health, for better or for worse, until death separated her from you. And women, you have the same responsibility. You made a vow as well. That's the work you need to continue till the end of your lives here on the earth. The work of building a strong and God-honoring marriage. Because true love doesn't fade, it's faithful to the end. Now, someone would at this point say, but pastor... It's hard living with my spouse. You don't know this woman. I mean, it would be, simply be easier if I gave up on this marriage and divorced her or him. Well, all I can say is, thank God our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, didn't feel that way about us and take the easy way out by not going to the cross, by refusing to die for his bride. Thank God he didn't stop short, but loved us all the way to the end. By finishing the work of redeeming us on Calvary's cross, where? Before he bowed his head and dismissed his spirit, he said, it is what? Finished. It is finished. Okay. 
Uh, and because I want to say uh, that about our study in John's Gospel today, it is finished. Let's bow, put our heads down and make a mad dash for the finish line. So verse 21. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will till he remain, uh, till he remain, uh, um, excuse me, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Verse 23. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You know, it's amazing to me how many people put words in Jesus' mouth or in the mouth of God in general when they read the Bible. Look, don't read the Bible. Uh, don't read into the Bible what you want it to say or what you think it should say. Take from it exactly what God is actually saying. This is how false teachings get started, how cults are born, and how many people turn away from God because in their minds God can't be trusted. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, God made me a promise. The TV preacher told me about it. If I give my money to the preacher, whatever I give, God will multiply a hundredfold in return. Now I gave the guy my last thousand bucks. It was my tax refund. And I sent it to him, and I haven't seen a penny. So God lied. God can't be trusted. No, actually what happened was the TV preacher lied. You didn't get that from the Bible. God never promised you that in his word. We have to be careful. What did God actually say? not what you wishfully want him to be saying. Let me say that in a way, though, John did live until Jesus returned. You realize that? You say, what do you mean? Well, John was transported into the future. And he saw the tribulation period, the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom, and the beginning of the eternal state, and wrote them all down in one book called the book of Revelation. So in a way... He did remain till Jesus came, right? All right, verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and who wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. It's interesting that, as John tells us, there are a lot of aspects of Jesus' life. In other words, a lot of things he did, a lot of things he said that were never recorded in the Bible. Now, skeptics or, or those that are uh, you know, antagonistic towards the Christian faith jump on that and go, well, that's why I don't believe. See, God didn't give us the whole story. God left things out. How can I believe a book that's not complete? Well, can I ask you how much... Spiritual truth do you need to have saving faith? Seriously, right? How much truth does a person need to come to saving faith? Look, God gave us 66 books in the Bible, consisting of 31,102 verses for a grand total of 783,135 words in the King James Version of the Bible. If a person reads every word in the Bible and still refuses to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, it wouldn't matter 
If God gave them a thousand books containing a million verses, totaling a billion words, they will never come to saving faith. And you know why? They don't want to come to saving faith. They're looking for excuses not to believe. If a person's heart is open and all they really need is one verse to believe and be saved, I got one for them. How about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in Jesus would not have to perish in hell, but would have everlasting life. You know, people, that one verse is brought to Jesus Christ over the millennia. Guys, the whole theme of the Bible is redemption. Which when you're talking about us now, the whole Bible is about Jesus shedding his blood that we might be saved. So I guess in that regard, the whole theme of the Bible is the love of God. The love of God. Which begs the question. I'll read this and we'll close. It begs the question, how many times does God have to tell you he loves you before you believe him? How many times does Jesus have to die for you before you surrender your life to him as your loving Savior? Maybe you're hesitating because you don't want people to think you're nuts. Okay? Uh, one of those crazy Bible-thumping Jesus freaks. One of the greatest hymns ever written on the subject of God's love was written by Frederick M. Lehman in 1917. It's simply called the love of God. Let me read it to you. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. When years of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who hear refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so, pure, so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels' song. Beautiful, right? The final stanza of that song, which you'll find today in that song, but the final stanza was added to it later by a man the authorities had deemed crazy and had sentenced to an, ins to an insane asylum. After he died, they found these words scratched on the walls of his cell. They became the final stanza of that beautiful little song. Here it is. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. You tell me the man who wrote that was not a Christian. That has the Holy Spirit all over it. Would to God all Christians were that crazy crazy in love with God, right? Crazy in love with Jesus. I don't know, the man who wrote that sounds pretty sane to me. Maybe he lived in a country where just by virtue of the fact you're a Christian, you were considered a communist country. You were considered crazy, a danger to the state, and they imprisoned this guy. I don't know. 
You wouldn't be the first person who loved Jesus to be in prison because he was or she was crazy. Guys, that man who wrote that sounds about as sane as anyone can be. Folks, the sanest thing you can ever do is to receive God's loving gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. And that's why John wrote his gospel. I'll end with the words of John. That's why John wrote his gospel. John 20, verses 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Don't let another day pass before you get on your knees and you receive Jesus Christ as your loving Savior. He'll either be one of two things to you, and I'll close with this. He'll either be your loving Savior or your righteous judge. And what you do with him today will determine what he becomes to you in the future. May God give grace. The way is open for all people to come and receive Jesus as their Savior. May God give the grace for everybody to accept his invitation. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this incredible gospel, so full of light and truth and life. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to keep leading us in our studies in your word. What do you want us to study next? Lay that on our hearts. And we thank you, Lord. And we just pray that everybody here this morning or watching online, there's anybody who has not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, would do so right now by praying a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God who came down to the earth to die for my sins and that three days later you rose from the dead bodily. And Lord, I believe you shed your blood that my sins might be forgiven. And I receive you right now as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to be my King, to take over my life, to guide me where you want to lead it, to use me for how... Uh, for the work you want to do through me. And Lord, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, that I would have the power to live this supernatural life as I follow you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I ask all this in your precious name. Amen.